Hey, thanks for tuning in to Acts 23, a verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. This week, we'll hear a message from Pastor Andy Bowles. Photo albums is what I'm talking about. (laughs) Every family probably has some photo albums, right? I mean, if you don't have photo albums, you got pictures somewhere, right? It's how we capture the moment. It's it's how we are able to go beyond what our mind is able to remember, and then we've got that physical memory photographed. This is this is uh, some pictures that we just kind of keep stacked around here. We we've been as a family been taking pictures of one another in all kind of moments together since the very beginning from when we had our first baptism out at Morton Marathon Lake. This is a picture here of some of you that are in this room. It's a group of ladies, five ladies who uh, were at youth camp years ago. Man, we've, we've seen youth camp grow from just a small group of about eight or ten young people as a part of Embrace to where now there's multiple churches that are involved, close to a hundred students this past year. Crazy, ridiculous, good stuff. Here's another picture here. There's one, two, three, four, five in this shot. But I, this was a ministry training day that we had for young people who felt the call to ministry, and we were just going deeper into that call. We partnered together with Scott Mangum over at LifeSpring, and we brought brought in different speakers and had a two-day event. Man, it was fun stuff. This is where I'm standing right now. I know this is hard for you to see, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you these pictures in just a few minutes, and you can kind of look at them. But what you're looking at is what you're looking at. <laughs> And it's uh, bare studs, ripped out seal. Oh, the ceiling's still there in that picture. But but uh, it's it's kind of crazy how when you look back at at pictures and it jogs your memory and you see how far you've gone in life or or how old you've grown in life. Uh, this is another picture of a of a baptism. This is right after we moved here. Um, Uh, This is Miss Julie and Miss Shirley, and they were cleaning up after some construction stuff that were happening over by the men's bathroom. This is a a moment of of worship here tonight. This is, I think maybe this is Emma Grace painting in the back. It's hard when you can't even recognize your own daughter there. That's a minute ago. Youth camp. Youth camp. Man, we've spent a lot of time at youth camps, haven't we? (laughs) Youth camp there. Uh, Baptism. That's... Um, when Michael baptized Mackenzie, right there, good stuff, man. Uh, this is well. This is a big throwback here. This is when I baptized Carmen at our first building in the hot tub. How many of you guys remember the hot tub? Was that not the coolest way to baptize? Amen. And, and after baptism, if your back hurt, just get in it. Yeah. This is uh, Derek leading Stephen Sessions through Discipleship 101 when he got his certificate. And this is Miss Julie leading Laura Keaton through it. And this is Sam being Sam here. <laughs> and, I mean, there's just there's all kind of pictures. As a matter of fact, here, I, I, don't, I don't like to distract anybody from my preaching. Here, bro, just look at them and pass them around. I don't care. I guess, okay. Pictures are, are for that, right? Pictures, families have pictures of the togetherness that they experienced. There's a a unique thing when we talk about family because you you know that the the enemy, our enemy, is against the family, right? 
is against the enemy is attempting to take out dads and remove dads as a key ingredient to a family attempting to 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 disintegrate the unity and harmony the love of a mother over the children throwing in as many curveballs as possible to try to distract parents from children and children from parents and rebellion the enemy is against family just period but faith family the, the enemy is against faith family as well. But there is a unique ingredient inside of the faith family that makes the church special, that makes the church unique, that makes the church the church. And, and it's a word that I'm going to use. You might have heard of it before. We say it occasionally here, and I've, I slip up and say it sometimes in messages, and it's not really a, a word that we use really at, hardly at all, but it's, it's the word koinonia. Years ago, our, our vertical youth group, they had what they called koinonia groups. And the word koinonia is, is just a Greek word. I'm going to get to the definition of it in just a minute. But, but I want you to know that that word, the essence of what that is, is one of the key elements in what makes a faith family a faith family. What makes us a body of believers. When you think of the body of Christ, you think of how the church functions in coordinating together. Even though we are different members who may have different talents and abilities and giftings and, and callings, but yet we still come together in such harmony and we flesh out, we work out in action and activity the plan and the will of God through the local body of believers. It, it's what makes us a body. It, it's what makes us an army an army together. It's, it's what brings us together in this closeness as one soldier to another, to another, to another. And it was, it's what helps us fight the battles together. It's what points us toward our enemy. It's just what makes us soldiers, an army. It's what makes us the bride of Christ. That's what makes the church, you, me, if you're saved, if you're born again, if, if you've been brought into the family of God, it's what makes you the bride of Christ. It's what gives us reason to come together to celebrate. If we know one thing after going on nine years now about embraces, embrace knows how to party, don't we? We know how to party. We knew how to party B.C., before Christ. But oh, how we know how to party on the good side, right? After receiving Christ. It's a celebration idea of what makes us the bride of Christ. It is what helps us understand our celebration and what our celebration is over. We're the church. It's what makes us the called out ones. That's really the basic of the word ecclesia, the ones who are called out from the world for a specific purpose. And, and, and it's, it's a whole lot of purposes in that, like with the body and its functions. But those who are called out are supposed to be separate, a faith family, this togetherness, this distinctive for us from the world and its, its groups, its cliques, its organizations. What makes you different than... Everybody who joins Sam's Club. What makes you different than being a part of a social media group? 
What, what makes you different than, than, than uh, the, the group that is organized at work and, and, and they're fighting for, for union and, and all of this? Well, what makes us different from every other fraternity and sorority and educational group? What makes us separate from all of these other groups is that thought of koinonia. The Spirit of God lives in all of us together, identifying us with one another. But koinonia is this thing this distinctive, this ingredient that really separates us. It's, it's our thumbprint. You say, Andy, okay, koinonia, what, what is koinonia? Basically, it's, it's together for the purpose of ministry and mission. It's the word that we have translated in our English version Bibles, a fellowship, a family atmosphere. More than just friends. And we talked about that last week. We talked about friends for the ministry. And there is a need for friends in ministry, but we're taking a little bit deeper of a step inside of the circle, the idea of koinonia, partnership in ministry. We're going to think about how it's more a family than anything. We're supposed to be friendly inside a family, right? How many of you guys know that that just because you're family doesn't mean you're friends. Right? But what we all should want is to at least be friendly with our family. We want friends out of our family, and we should aspire for that. Well, faith family is, is a family of friends, but again, it's this thing of the blood of Christ being over us, which is greater than the blood from our parents that's in us. If you got your Bibles, flip over to Acts chapter 18. We're going to read verses 18 down to verse 28 tonight as we continue this study through the book of Acts. And, and we're thinking about faith family for ministry. Verse 18, notice what the story is, is just progressing on. And Paul, after this, you see he was in Athens and Corinth and he was preaching the gospel. If you remember, there were eight there were eight names mentioned in 17 verses, in the first 17 verses. Eight names that were mentioned of friends to Paul in partnership with the ministry. And these friends were a family because they were born again. They were a part of the family of God. But after this, Paul tarried there yet a good while. And then he took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence to Syria with him, Priscilla and Aquila. Aquila was the guy. Priscilla was the lady. And we learn about them in the first part of this chapter. Having shorn his head in, in um, Centuria, for he had a vow. Let me, let me just stop right there and, and say this real quick. Just kind of some Bible nerd facts about that verse. He stayed there a while. We're going to learn in just a few minutes. This was the second longest stay of Paul's missionary journeys and, and Paul's ministry into the churches. He stayed there about a year and a half in Corinth. The, the only place he stayed at longer was three years at Ephesus. And Ephesus had a very special place in Paul's heart. When we go into chapter 19 and chapter 20, we're going to read the story of Paul's interaction with the church at Ephesus. Paul, when he gets ready to leave Ephesus and go to Rome, he understands that he's going there for the sake of the gospel and God's going to give him opportunity after opportunity to share his testimony and preach the gospel before both religious leaders and governmental leaders. And it's going to be mind-blowing opportunities. But Paul knows, even through a prophecy, that when he goes to Rome, he's going to be go going 
going to Rome bound, and he's going to give his life for the sake of the gospel in Rome. Before he goes there, he establishes this church, and he establishes friendships, and he establishes family there in Ephesus for those three years. And before he leaves, the elders of that church, they all fall on his neck, and they love him, and they're so appreciative of him, and they cry and weep over him, and then he departs. That's where he's going. He's in Corinth right now, and if you remember anything about Corinth, you might want to take a time out in chapter 17 and chapter 18 and go back and read 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Now, this was an area that was saturated with sinful pleasures. Not to get too deep into all of what was happening there in Corinth. We've talked about it several times But he preaches the gospel, and people respond to the gospel, but people in Corinth are spiritually slow to understand their responsibility as it relates to the gospel that rescued them. And so he's got to write these two letters and help them understand that the factor of the gospel influences every part of your life, not just one part of your life. Let me just say this. Don't be a spiritually slow Christian. And think that the gospel is only applicable to one place in your life. Okay, Andy, I gave my life to Jesus. I know the date and the time. I know where I was. I know exactly how life smelt at that time. And that's all it is. No, no, no. It's, it's not all it is. That's, it's, it's every day the gospel is with you every day. And so here, here Paul, he's there in court for a year and a half. He's living with them. He's discipling them. He's teaching them the way of, of the Lord. But something in particular in verse 18 toward the end of it might have caught your attention to where it says that he, he shaved his head because he had made a vow. There's not a whole lot of commentary or understanding exactly what's going on here other than possibly in Numbers chapter 6. If you're a deep diver, who's a deep diver? After you're done with the message, you write these verses down, you go back home and you study it a little bit more. Uh, I appreciate you guys, your Berean in heart. We already talked about the Bereans. You want to make sure that this stuff is right, right? And so in Numbers chapter 6, you see that there was a thing called the Nazarite vow. And a Nazarite vow, when it's made, it's made and you begin to abstain from certain things. You can go back in Numbers chapter 6 and you can read about the Nazarite vow. Certain people believe that Paul the Apostle had taken a Nazarite vow which says that you're not supposed to cut your hair both on, the, your, hair, on your head and your beard for men. And, and so quite possibly at this time in this year and a half's ministry while Paul is in Corinth, he's growing his hair out. And he's got a beard, and it came to the conclusion of his Nazarite vow to where his time was fulfilled in his Nazarite vow, and now he shaves his head, and he shaves his his beard. It's possibly one of the reasons why it says that he had had this vow, and now he shaves his head. Verse 19, and he came to Ephesus and left them there. He's, he's in Ephesus at this point. But he himself entered into the synagogue. Not anything uh, crazy for Paul the apostle. He would always go to the synagogue because he knew exactly where he was fishing and to whom he was fishing for. And reasoned with the Jews. I love the politeness of the Holy Spirit as it says, reasoned with the Jews. It was his desire as he already revealed in Corinth to the Corinthians, later writing back to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 11, that he knew the terror of 
of the Lord. And because he knew of the awesomeness of God, he chose to persuade men. And that's what he's doing there. He goes to the synagogue, the place to where Jews collected over religious things and had religious talks. And he knew that, that the Old Testament was full of shadowings of who Jesus is. And he knew that he could go to the synagogue on the Sabbath Saturday and he could sit with the Jews and he could listen to them read from the law. And he knew that in his pedigree of who he once was, that they possibly might knew who he is. They might have said, Paul, what does this mean? And then he gets the opportunity, as he did in the very beginning of his walk with Jesus in Acts chapter 9, verse 22, that he went to the synagogue and he preached to them how that Jesus is the very Christ and he's going to preach the gospel because Paul is he doesn't allow the gospel just to affect one place in his life but every area of his life verse 20 when they desired him to tarry longer time with them he consented not no you ain't gonna stick around for that right now Verse 21, but bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep the feast, this feast that's coming to Jerusalem. It was a spiritual festival that was coming, and Paul knew that it was faith family there, and he's desiring to go back to Jerusalem to keep the feast. But I'll return to you again, if God will, and he sailed from Ephesus. Verse 22, and when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch, and after he had spent some time there, he departed and went all over the country of Galatia and uh, Pergia in order, this is super important, the, the last part of verse 23, strengthening all of the disciples. I want you to know just stopping right here, and there's a whole lot more that we're going to be talking about in just a little bit, but there are 11 references from verse 18 to verse 28 in this chapter that reference in some kind of way the importance of us being a faith family. 11 different references. And this is kind of the highlight of that reference. Here, Paul the Apostle, he's going to spend time with Christians, but he's going to leave certain family members to go see some other family members because he feels like it's his duty in his spiritual capacity that he's got to go and minister to the family members that are a part of the family of God. And he's going and he's strengthening all the disciples. Verse 24, it's a different paragraph here. We're going to leave Paul there strengthening the disciples. And we're going to pick up where his influence over Priscilla and Aquila was strong enough even in their new faith. But they had been with Paul the Apostle for a year and a half in Corinth. And now they're going to see how, how his faith influenced them to help another brother in Christ understand in a greater depth, the gospel of Jesus. Verse 24, and a certain Jew named Apollos. How many of you guys remember that guy, Apollos? Just a few? One? Let me introduce to you all tonight the guy named Apollos in the Bible. <laughs> this is a crazy good guy. We're going to talk about him in just a minute. The last verse is really 
a, a highlight on his career as a follower of Jesus and a teacher of Jesus. And he had a zeal to go and help other people understand who God is in his character through a revealed word. But we see that the, the, the church of Corinth, they actually, they had a heart bent toward Apollos as well. They loved Paul, Apollos, they loved Peter, and, and, and they loved Paul. As a matter of fact, they loved these guys so much that they allowed whoever was baptized by each one to be so important to each one that it began to cause division among the church. Paul has to write to the church at Corinth and basically say this. Now, you guys know us at Embrace, right? We, we don't pull no punches, right? We just kind of speak it like it is. Paul the Apostle says to the church at Corinth, why y'all acting like a bunch of knuckleheads and all upset about who baptized who? It's not as much about who baptized who, it's who saved you that is most important. <laughs> it doesn't matter who baptized you, it's who, who led you to, I mean, who, who saved you. Jesus is the one that rescued you from your sin, and there's no man on this planet who elevates himself above Jesus. So Jesus is the, is the main the main character in everybody's story. And he says in, in the rest of verse 24, he's born of Alex, at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. He came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he was, was very zealous in life. He spoke, spake, and taught diligently the things of the Lord but this is an issue that he had, knowing only the baptism of John. Let me ask you a question. Is it okay for you to be excited about the knowledge you have if the knowledge you have is not a complete knowledge of all that you need to know? <laughs> Some of you guys are like, immediately, yes. Some of you guys are like, what in the world did you just say? <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean... Is it okay to be excited about the limited knowledge that you have? Absolutely it is. The, the, the way that you get revelation of more knowledge and more truth is to be obedient with the truth that you've got. Remember, we say this often, God is a steward of his truth. L let me explain it to you like this. God is a parent... Who, when you, when he gives you five dollars because you've, you've obeyed him and you take and you use that five dollars wisely and you buy school supplies instead of a bunch of candy, then he as a father looks at you and says, you know what? You did right with that five dollars. I'm going to give you ten dollars. You feel me? God says, you know what? I revealed to, to my child, that they are to quickly forgive the offenses of those who offend them. And I saw him when somebody talked bad about him. Not only did they talk bad about him, it wasn't just a nobody, it was a somebody that was in God's body. It was a Christian in the church talking bad about him. And he quickly forgave. And because he quickly forgave, I'm going to reveal to him a grace that he didn't know, didn't understand, and wouldn't be able to understand or know outside of this. It's the way God does things. 
Here Apollos, I mean, he's doing what he knows to do, right? I mean, he's been at the River Jordan, possibly been baptized by John the Baptist. He's heard the flaming message from the Old Testament prophet in the New Testament age. John the Baptist with the spirit of Elijah preaching repent. He knew that. He heard that. He understood that very well knowing that Jesus has come. And Jesus has done a work. But his knowledge is is limited, but he's acting out in obedience to the knowledge that he has. Verse 26, and he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they're doing what Paul did, going to the synagogue, they took him unto them and expounded, helped him understand in a broader sense, unto him the way of God more perfectly or completely. And when he was disposed to pass through Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, whom when he had come, was come, helped them much which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews that, and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. This guy was excited about the truth that he had. He needed more truth. God positioned because God is a sovereign God in his path. Aquila and Priscilla and the, what, what pieces of the puzzle he was missing, it was okay because now he brings Priscilla and Aquila to his side. Let me tell you something. If he'd have been quiet about it, that I never knew he needed more about it. If he wasn't excited about it, that I never knew that he needed more about it. This is not a relationship that was deep a lot of time over coffee and donuts. This was a moment in a synagogue and hearing what zeal he has about what truth he has. And now they help him out to understand the way of God more completely. Apollos, we love you, man. You're doing a great job. What a great message. Did you, did you also know about this? And they began to teach him about Jesus and death, burial, and resurrection and how Jesus is coming again and how the Spirit of God filled believers in Acts chapter 2 and, and how, how he saved 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. And, and they just kind of go through and, and they explain these things to him. And all they do for Apollos is pack his tool belt with more tools to preach the gospel in greater means, in greater ways, in greater places for greater purposes. And it says that. I mean, verse verse 27, when he's disposed to pass through Achaia, the brethren wrote, there's even a testimony now about him, exhorting the disciples to receive him. This guy's got something you need to hear. Whom, when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews and that publicly showing the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. This guy's our people. This guy's on our side. How quickly so many people today in religious circles would have heard that, seen that, and dismissed him because of that. Instead of saying, hey, if if you can be worked with, then why not work with you? If I know something that you need, why not, if I've got it, give it to you? Come on. This is some preaching tonight now. Right, that's that's what it is. And, And let me tell you something. That's what family does. So let's just say that you and 
one of your siblings are traveling. And you're going from state to state, and you're having a good time, and you're chopping up the past. You remember when dad used to do this, and mom used to do this, and brother or sister used to do this. And so you're remembering those good times going down memory lane as you just travel from state to state. And then you're at a coffee shop one morning, and y'all are hashing it out and having a good time. And a waitress comes by, and she's pouring your coffee, and she says, where are you guys from? Well, we're from so-and-so. And she says, oh, really? I got family in in Forest, you got family. What's your name? And ten minutes later, that's your third cousin. <laughs> you know how things get, right? So the sibling you've been riding with all that time—that's your kin folk. That's your family. But the person you just met—are they any less your family? The person that you ain't spent all those memories with and all that time with, are they any less your family? Of course not. They're your family. They're just meeting them, just getting to know them, just spending some time with them, just getting some call. You might have to leave them there, but now you know you've got them there. You see what I'm saying? That's a simple illustration to talk about the faith family of God. It's a situation someone like, just this. Because they had this thing called koinonia, they had this togetherness. They had this function. They had this battle together. They had this celebrate together. They had this separate from the world together. They had this distinctive together that made it to them different than everything else out there even though they might not have known each other quite so much because they had koinonia, which means, I'm going to give you four words right off the bat. Very seldom do I tell you the entire message in a moment because I know y'all will take a nap on me, right? You won't take a nap with that happening, but... But I'm going to give you all four words right off the bat. Accountable, must, guidance, and verify. Four words, because we have koinonia together. These four words, they're going to be important. Accountable, must, guidance, and verify. And I see all of that in this passage tonight. What am I talking about? Holding each other accountable over commitments made. That's one way in which you know we have koinonia together. That we are a faith family that has purpose together. You guys know as well as I do, you only have to be as a part of something as you want to be a part of something. There is no family as open as this family. I'm talking about embrace. There is no family as open as this family. This family, when you come, this family opens her arm, arms, and this family says, come and get all you want. And this family says, we know that you got scars. It's okay. I had a guy that, uh, actually, we had um, groceries today, and, and we've changed it to one day of the week, 10 to 12, and we had 7,422 families fed today. I'm just kidding. It kind of felt like that. But uh, but uh, <laughs> wasn't that many. But there was a guy shows up, and He's getting groceries, and they just moved from out of state, and, and, and I'm helping him carry his groceries to the car, and I'm going to share the gospel with him, and I share the gospel with him, and, and he's real honest. He says, you know, I, 
I don't have, no, I'm not born again. I'm like, bro, you better get born again quick. That is the day of salvation. You could die, and I'm not trying to scare you into hell or into heaven, but, but if it, it means I'm scaring you out of hell, that's okay, I guess. And, and so just kind of sharing it with him, and, and we're walking, and, and he says, uh, I said, man, c- come and visit with us. And he's like, man, I got all these tattoos. <laughs> that's what I said, too. I said, what, you got tattoos? <laughs> I said, bro, you... You, you don't have tattoos. Come to church with me. <laughs> We're going to show you some tattoos. Some that probably should be covered up, but we don't even cover them up. We just show up, right? And, and so, but, but it's us. It's us. Open up. Come on. Come on. Don't let them deter you. Don't let them stop you. And it's, it's not just come to a gathering. Come to a place where a family meets and activity happens, and you can get involved. But beware of this. We're going to hold each other accountable. Because we're not saying, hey, hey, we're open. Come on. Be a part without us taking this thing serious and saying, I need you to, to, to watch my back and I, I, need, I need to watch your back and you've got things that, that are passing you in the blind side of your life. I'm going to cover the blind side of your life. You cover the blind side of my life and let's be accountable over this thing. Don't let me fly under the radar and not have read the word for three months and you're not asking me about it. Not be a effectual in my prayer life and you not ask me about it. Be jacked up in my marriage and you not ask me about it. To be lapsing in my commitments and you not ask me about it. Come on. This is the place to where we say, hey, here we are. We're wide open. Come get all you want. Be a part of all you want. But know this, we're going to get in your business. And we invite you to get into our business. It's a thing. In verse 18, Paul He's, he's going with Priscilla and Aquila. Man, they jump on a ship real quick. And Paul's got something unique going on, and they want to be a part of it. A year and a half there with Paul there, and they notice that he done shaved his head. He's had a commitment that he's made. I wonder how many times throughout this commitment, whether it was a Nazarite vow that had a lot of other commitments associated with it or some other commitment that he made as a vow unto God, but they understood that this man was a committed man, but this man is a man, and sometimes he can be tempted as a man to lapse in his commitments, and sometimes his yes is not yes, and his no is not no, and sometimes he can falter under internal pressures where he don't keep his commitments and he needs somebody i wonder and i won't know this until i get to heaven and this is absolute speculation and i'm telling you that before i say it okay doesn't say this in the bible but i wonder if there were times to where paul said this vow is tough what was i thinking when i made this vow ecclesiastes 5 2 says don't utter a bunch of words when you enter the house of god but instead hold your mouth and keep your vows until you understand i wonder if that verse came to paul the apostle in the process of his vow and he thought to himself man this is this is a tough i shouldn't have done this i can't do this and i wonder if priscilla and aquila had personal conversations to where paul says man i made this vow to god and now i'm starting to think was it really Necessary? Should I have done that? Maybe, maybe they said, yeah, Paul, you should have done that. 
And whether you should have done it or not done it, you did say it and you made it a vow to God. Now you can't go back on it anyway because you committed yourself to God. And maybe they were an, an ingredient to help keep his feet to the fire of his commitment. And so when the vow was completed at the date and time, he shaved his head and they celebrated that together. Maybe it is to where we together have to come and say, you, you, you made a vow before God. You said it before the witnesses and the preacher and you held her hand, you held his hand and you said, until death do us part with this ring I thee wed, with all my worldly goods I thee endow in the name of the Father, Son. I've done this a few times. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe we need to come together and say a marriage is a marriage for a reason. It's a covenant relationship, not a contract. Maybe we should come together and say, you know what, you made a commitment when you said yes to Jesus, and when you said yes to Jesus, you said no to dope and alcohol, and so now you're not living for sobriety. Sobriety is just a, a side effect, a salvation, and you just need to keep walking with Jesus, and don't worry about that dope calling. Don't worry about that alcohol calling. Maybe we need to come together as a family and be accountable over how we spend our money. Say, you don't have to eat out 57 times in a week. You come say, well, God ain't blessing me because you ain't given to the kingdom's work. And at the conclusion, it's because you've given to your kingdom's work too much. And you got all these toys you piling up, right? And all of a sudden, Southern Pine starts flicking your lights on and off. <laughs> I made this commitment of integrity. You, you see what I'm saying? To be accountable, hold each other accountable. See, because they had koinonia, it meant... Accountability. It meant must. I'm going to go through these real quick. Having a must-do attitude. I, I like what Paul says in verse 21. They're wanting him to stick around. And he, he, he kind of wants to stick around. Have you ever been somewhere to where you're like, yeah, man, I'd love to stay here, but I've made a commitment. I, I got to go. He has this must-do attitude that I must go here. I must go to the to the festivals in Jerusalem because it's a commitment that I've made and it's a faith family that I need to minister to and there are certain non-negotiables that I have in my life. You understand that there's got to be some non-negotiables. How many of you guys have non-negotiables in your life? Not, so, so let me just say it this way. A person you've been running, running with for the past 15 years doing things that you know God don't want you to be doing, you're living a lifestyle that, that hell would blush over, and, and you see that person after six months, seven months, two years of sobriety at the gas station, and they say, hey, man, I ain't seen you in a long time. What you been up to? And you tell them, Jesus is good. Jesus saved me. I go to church, this and that. But it ain't deterring them. We always teach guys out of, out of recovery. To, if you see somebody from the past talk about Jesus more than you talk about anything in a five-minute conversation and then say, have a blessed day and leave. Right? But they ain't shaking it, right? And they come over to the house and hang out with us. Come on over. It is is it a non-negotiable to go to the dope man's house? <laughs> Come on. Proverbs chapter 5 talks about the harlot's house and Solomon saying to his sons, take 17 blocks to go around that thing. Don't go down the same street. Sometimes you just got to avoid things. 
It's non-negotiables. My calendar's going to say no. My priorities are going to say no. My submission to the leadership of the Holy Spirit's going to say no. I've got to have a must-do attitude, and my must-do is to Jesus first and foremost. See, we as a family, we recognize that. Because they had koinonia, it means they had guidance. You see, hearing each other and helping with guidance that sometimes even leads into correction. Don't none of us like this? <laughs> Do not raise your hand, okay? I'm going to ask a rhetorical question that needs a blank stare from you, okay? <laughs> How many of y'all like to be told you're wrong? Some of y'all can't control your face. <laughs> so I'm like, no. None of us like to be told we're wrong. Nobody likes to be corrected. I mean, all of, we've all got this phrase. I'm a grown man. I'm a grown woman. Who are you to tell me what to do? We got this thought process. I'm over 21 years old. I'm paying my own light bill. Who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you to come in my life and correct me? Well, it definitely bleeds into that accountability thing. But in Koinonia, as a faith family, we help each other with corrective guidance. Because this is, this is the metaphor that is a reality spiritually. When somebody comes to you with corrective guidance, hopefully they're coming to you with a heart that loves you, a relationship in which you trust and you can depend on, and you know that they're not out against you, and when they come to you with corrective guidance, you've got relational equity in this person's life, and they're in your life, and then you hear them, and you know that they see something, know something, been somewhere that you haven't and don't, and they're just trying to help you not make the mistakes that, you, that, that they've possibly made or that you might make. Apollos. Apollos, this is what Apollos is doing. Apollos is in a synagogue. He's preaching, man. He's saying, hey, guys, you won't believe this. Check this out. And there's Priscilla and Aquila, and they come to him, and they say, man, brother, great word. Let me tell you something. You might not know this. There, there is a right way to approach someone inside of the faith family with corrective guidance. You never approach them without prayer. Oftentimes, you need to fast and pray because we live in a culture of offense. And we live in a culture to where nobody has conversations. They just talk at each other. And if we're not careful, it's going to bleed into our faith family and our churches. And nobody's going to understand anybody. And all we're going to do is get offended at everything. Huh? Is that real? That's real. And so... You have to have meekness, and you have to understand God speaks to us in various ways. First and foremost, he speaks to us through his word. You want to hear from God? Open the Bible. He speaks to us. He speaks to us by the influence of his Holy Spirit who lives inside of us and overshadows us and directs us through his word, but he also speaks to us through his people. And you have to have an ear that says, I'm willing to hear from a brother or sister. And you might even say, you know what, that person that tried to come and give me corrective, I don't even like them. Who are they? I don't even like them. They go to church with me, but I don't like them. I don't park by them. 
I wait till they get done with the donuts and I go get a donut. But who's to say that that person still can't be used by God? You guys do know that God spoke through a donkey. He spoke through a rooster. Right? So discern the word of God. My mother-in-law taught Laurie a long time ago, and she helps us with this as well. If somebody's speaking something negative about you, you have two different approaches to it. Either, number one, to, to view it and see, is this true of me? If it's true of me, then I need to change something about me. If it's not true of me, then I don't give a crap what they said. Right? <laughs> so the last word is, is verify. Helping join the, the, the testimonies of each other together. That's what koinonia and faith family does. I cannot tell you how many times in, in nine years I have gotten a phone call about somebody in the faith family of Embrace Church and says, is this real? Can I trust them? Are they living it out? Can I just be real with y'all? Some of y'all the judge called me about. <laughs> Some of y'all the popo called me about. Right? Some of y'all your mama called me about. Some of y'all your employer called me about. <laughs> and you know what? You know what I do? I make sure that I'm not a skewed perspective. Because you can ask Laurie, I give everybody the benefit of the doubt, and I love everybody. But I, I call a couple of brothers and sisters that are trusted and say, hey, you heard anything? You know anything? Let's talk about this. What do you think? What do you got? And when the testimonies agree, then I get to call the judge back and say, man, let me tell you, this brother's living it out. I get to call the employer back and say, you wouldn't believe how God's using this sister. Because we get to verify each other's testimony. When we have koinonia, fellowship, family together. I've had judges and mamas and lawyers and so many others call and say, Hey, what about so and so? We know that y'all sponsored them to recovery. And sometimes I have to say, remind me who they are. They were here for a little while and like a flash in the pan, they gone. They ain't with us anymore. I don't know what happened. We, we tried to do our part. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. There's some that are no longer with you because they were really never with you. You know? And, and they're not here. And I don't know where they're at. And I don't know what they're doing. So I can't verify their testimony because it's not koinonia. See, those, those four words are important. Accountable. A must. Guidance and corrective guidance. Right? And verify. We have this family together. That's why we in the South always have this warm greeting. How's your mom and them? Because <laughs> we know what family means. Faith family. Faith family for ministry. We, we're not in here because all of us are Alabama fans. Not everybody's that great. <laughs> but... You knew one was coming. And I'm still feeling the hurt. I know, I know. Still feeling the hurt from Texas. Sorry, jokers. But anyway. <laughs> but when we're together in this, and we love each other, we're fighting together because we're an army.
and we're functioning together because we're a body and we're celebrating together because we're the bride and we're gathering together because we're the called out ones. Man, we can do something. It's a faith family. It's family. Turn to the person beside you and say, I'm glad you're my family. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. All right, rain it in. <laughs> I love you guys. Amen. Amen. Well, I love you guys more than y'all ever know. <laughs> so what we're going to do is make a decision that we're going to serve together. This ain't no joke to us because it ain't no joke to Jesus. So we're going to fight this fight together. We're family. We live together. We love together. We bleed together. We celebrate together. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you. Oh, you're so good to us. We receive your graces and your mercies over us right now. I thank you for this body of believers to whom I call brothers and sisters. God, help us to continue to fight the good fight, press toward the mark, so that one day when we step into heaven, we will be greeted with the words of our Savior, well done, thou good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, amen.